this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the podcast, The Unchangeable Truth. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon, and it's titled, The Beauty of Unity. And he's coming out of Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. So enjoy the sermon. You guys have a Bible today. Let me encourage you to open to Romans chapter 15. We've been walking now for 56 weeks through the book of Romans. It is a verse-by-verse study. We've not skipped over any scripture, and I, uh, I find that to be rich. Uh, I find that to be what I need. I, uh, I do wish more folks would be expository in their teaching and preaching. The reason why I like it is uh, if you get mad at what I say, you're really not mad at me. Because we're just doing what God's Word says. Is that what we're talking about? And my goal is not to teach you what to believe. My, my desire as your pastor is to, is to help you fall more in love with Jesus and more in love with His Word. And I'm thankful today that whether you have been to seminary, you didn't graduate from high school, whatever the case may be, you are a fifth grader, okay? If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And it is not any of the things I've mentioned that illuminate Scripture. It is the Spirit of God. And so I'm thankful today that every one of us that know Jesus, that we have within us the ability to understand His Word. This morning, we're kind of building off of Romans 14. That's kind of natural, right, since we're in Romans 15. And I know 15 and 16 are the last two chapters. And some of you are like, so we're coming close to the end of Romans. We've got about eight more weeks. And, uh, and we'll finish Romans, and then, unless the Lord directs otherwise, I'm excited we're going to go to the book of John. And I've never systematically preached by, verse by verse through the book of John before in 30 years of ministry. And so I'm excited about that, and uh, if you thought Romans was long, wait till we get to John. Uh, we will be there for quite some time, maybe, maybe three years in the book of John. Um, and so uh, the reason why, well, uh, there are many reasons I do that. One reason is, you know, once we start and get halfway through, if you guys get angry and mad at me and you want me to leave, you can't because you want to know how it turns out, right? Uh, so there is some self-preservation that is involved in that. But Romans 15, and this morning we'll look at those first six verses because this morning we're talking about the beauty of unity. The beauty of unity. That in chapter 14, remember, he's been talking about things that we get divided over, things that are non-essentials, that there are some things out there that ought to bring about division, key doctrinal things, salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone. The Bible is God's word, right? There are some cardinal things out there, but that's not usually what we get upset about. That we get upset and fight over things that ultimately, in the end, really do not matter. And so today he's talking about the beauty of unity. Now, growing up, I loved to look in the paper and see the Peanuts comic strip. You guys remember the Peanuts comic strip? And then one particular episode, here is Linus, real timid, real laid-back guy. Linus is reclining on the floor, he's watching television, and Lucy comes into the room. And if you know anything about Lucy, you know she's a spitball. And Lucy says this, change the channel. I want to watch something else. And Linus says, no, I was here first. I want to watch this. And then Lucy does this. She said, do you see these five fingers? Separate, they are nothing. But when I put them together, they become a powerful force to be reckoned with. And in the next scene, uh, Linus is over in the corner. Lucy is there. She's reclining on the floor. She's watching television. Linus is over in the corner, and he's looking at his hands, and he's saying, why can't you guys get together like that? I tell you that today because I wonder how many times God must look at the modern day church and he must be thinking, why can't you guys get together like that? That separate, we're not much. That separate, we're not going to change the world. But friend, when we come together, 
under the banner of Jesus Christ, the world will be changed. Now, with all that being said, a couple things we're going to do today. First of all, we're going to look at some principles after we read the Scripture. We're going to look at some principles of unity. There'll be a couple of them. And then we're going to start talking about ways that you and I promote unity within the church. And that's how we're going to break this Scripture down. Because he's going to give us six different ways that you and I promote unity. Now, with all that being said, look there with me in the Scripture. Romans 15, verse 1. Has everybody got that? Good. You've had a long time to look it up. Verse 1. We then, who are strong enough, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the principles of unity. First of all, when we're talking about unity within the church, the church is surprisingly diverse. We are all different. That we don't look the same, we don't think the same, we don't talk the same, we have different likes and dislikes. And a lot of times when we think of unity, we think, well, that's a place where everybody is exactly the same and we let that filter into the church. But folks, we have different temperaments that are here. And when you find all the different people like we have here at Highland Park, living life together, loving together, one in Christ, that's what makes the unity that Paul's talking about here so beautiful. It's beautiful. Stop and think, only God, only God could unite a group of people like us. Only God could take us from different walks of life, right? Different preferences. We like different things. We, we go different places and all the things about us. And God brings us together. And God says, this is the bride of Christ. I think you would admit, to, admit with me that supernaturally it takes the miraculous to bring unity to a group like you and I. I would assume you agree. You agree with me or not? Do you? I mean, come on. All right. I just want to make sure. I mean, unity in the church is not saying this is where everybody is exactly alike and thinks alike and they're cookie cutter Christians. That's not what unity is. What makes this whole thing unbelievable and God getting glory is we are so diverse. If you don't believe that God is a God of variety, all you've got to do is look down the row at the faces that are sitting there that he created. He is a God of variety. He is a God of diversity. Uh, all you have to do is look at your fingerprint. And your fingerprint is so unique to you that it is different than every other fingerprint that belongs to the six billion people on planet earth. That God specializes in making every one of us different. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to God that he made us all different. How boring it would be if we were all the same. If we looked all the same, if we talked all the same, if we came from the same backgrounds. But listen, God is such a God of variety. And so when all of these different preferences, all of these different tastes, all of these different appearances come together in unity called the church, it is beautiful. I thank God for Highland Park. Man, I've been in churches that had a lot of things, but unity was not one of them. I thank God, understand today, this sermon is not in any reaction to anything that is going on here. Do you know why I'm preaching this sermon today? Because we finished chapter 14 last week. 
You knew it was coming 56 weeks ago. And so I look around and I thank God for Highland Park, but I want you to know I pray that Highland Park will always be the kind of church where different folks experience unity. Where the long hairs and the short hairs and the no hairs and the blue hairs can all come together and love each other. Where the suit and tie crowd and the elegant dress crowd get along with the blue jeans and the flip-flop crowd and nobody judges the other and nobody makes the other feel bad. I pray that Highland Park will always be the kind of church where the PhDs can sit on the same rows with the high school dropouts and they'll love and they'll appreciate each other. Where the millionaires can sit on the same row with someone on welfare. Unity in the church is where you have the Beethoven crowd, and you have the Gaither crowd, and you have the Maverick City crowd all singing and worshiping together. It's not everybody acting the same. It's not everybody liking the same thing. What is it that unites us? Well, we've sang about him all day. Jesus. That's the unity that is so special when it comes to this place and when it comes to this body. Do you know that God desires there to be unity within the body of Christ? Listen to what the Bible says. This is in Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters can live together in unity. Now, he's not merely talking about flesh and blood, brothers and sisters, even though that's a good thing as well. He's talking about those that are a part of the family of God, those that know Jesus as their Lord, brothers and sisters with Christ. How good and pleasant when they live together in unity. So, when we talk about the beauty of unity, understand it is surprisingly within the church diverse. That God is not building a church here at Highland Park where we're all the same. That's not the purpose. But then the second principle is this. Unity in the church starts with God. It's something that God begins. It's something that God creates. Sometimes folks will say this, well, you know what, you and I, we've got to come together, and we've all got to come together because God wants us to create unity in the church. Understand, man cannot make unity. Man cannot create unity. Only God can. Man's efforts at unification never, ever work. Now, when it comes to you and I, we can keep unity or we can kill unity. Or we can even disrupt unity. But only God is the one that initiates or creates unity. Sometimes you'll get a group of people together and here's what they'll say. They'll say, oh, look, we've come together. That's unity. Friend, that's not unity. You can take two tomcats and tie their tails together and throw them over a clothesline. You've got unification, but you don't have unity. Now, I'm not saying to try that, boys and girls. But if you do, we'll know next Sunday. No, it's not just when folks come together. The problem happens when we as Christians, we get so self-centered and we get so narrow-minded that the only people that we want to unify with, the only people that we want to fellowship with, are those folks who believe exactly the way that we believe about non-essentials. They think exactly the way that we think. They feel exactly the way that we feel over those things that ultimately do not matter. And that disrupts unity in the church. Max Licato, a great author, he wrote a book called A Gentle Thunder. And he tells a, uh, a fictitious yet humorous story that illustrates what Paul is writing about here in Romans 15. I want you to listen to what he writes. He says, some time ago, I came upon a fellow on a trip who was carrying a Bible. I asked him, are you a believer? Yes, he said excitedly. Now, I've learned that we can't be too careful when it comes to who we fellowship with. So I decided I would ask him some questions. 
Do you believe in the virgin birth? I asked. I do, he said. Do you believe in the deity of Christ? No doubt, he replied. Could it be that I really was face to face with a real life Christian brother? Nonetheless, I continued my questions, my checklist. Do you believe in the, in the return of Christ? I believe it is imminent was his response. Well, what about the Bible? I believe it is inspired was his immediate answer. I was getting excited. Are you a conservative or are you a liberal? He was getting interested as well. I'm a conservative. I asked him as my heart began to beat faster, what denomination are you a part of? He said, I am a member of the Southern Congregationalist Holy Son of God Dispensationalist Triune Convention. <laughs> I was excited because that was my denomination. I asked him, what branch of the denomination are you? He said, I'm a part of the premillennial, post-tribulation, non-charismatic, King James only, one cup communion branch. My eyes missed it over. That was my branch as well. I only had one more question. Is your, plex, or is your pulpit plexiglass or wood? He said plexiglass. I recalled in horror as I walked away. And I said, get away from me, you heretic. <laughs> we laugh about that. How foolish. How foolish the things that divide us are. How foolish the things that we want to center around and call it unity. We even say, well, that's what God wants because we're now unified over what Paul has been saying in chapter 14 are non-essentials, are things that ultimately do not matter. And listen to me. Likewise, those are the very things that brings about division. Only God can create unity. We can't. It's from Him. But you and I have been called by Him to maintain unity within the body of Christ. So those are the two principles. It's surprisingly diverse, and that's a good thing for every one of us in this room today because we're all different. And it starts with God. But then all of a sudden we start digging into the scripture. Because he's just laid out for us things that you and I can do to promote unity within our church. Now we've already said that's what God wants. It'll take a miracle because we're so different. But yet how do you and I maintain this unity? First of all, I support weaker Christians. That's kind of what he was saying in chapter 14, isn't it? Look, look with me in verse 1 again, Romans 15. He says there in verse 1, We then who are strong ought. Now let's stop right there. The word ought is an Anglo-Saxon word that means owed. So he's saying that you and I who are strong, we would say it this way, you and I who are maturing in our faith, we're not a new Christian, we're not a young Christian, we're, we're, we're not a weaker Christian, but we are maturing in our faith. He says that you and I owe a debt to newer Christians, to younger Christians, to weaker Christians. What is the debt that we owe? We're to support them. That we're to encourage them. You're like, well, I'll support them and encourage them as long as they don't mess up. Oh, my goodness. That even when they stumble. Paul would say it this way, church. Even when they do not believe what you and I may believe about these non-essential things that we still owe it to them to support them. To not judge them. To not criticize them. Matter of fact, look back in verse 1 again. He says in verse 1, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. The word bear there, it literally means this, to carry them. The word bear there means the, to pick them up. It means to help them. I'll give you an example. For those of you who have children, you know 
that when you came home from the hospital, depending on your insurance carrier, day two, three, four, whatever the case may be, or maybe you had a preemie and maybe it was a little bit longer than that, but you come home from the hospital, how many of you brought your children into the house, you plopped them down on the floor and you're like, hey, the pantry's over there, the bathroom's at the end of the hallway, your bedroom's that one right there, it used to be my office, but I'll give it to you, there's your bedroom right there, help yourself, we got all kinds of cold drinks in the refrigerator, but this is now your home. You didn't do that. How many of you likewise said, hey, listen, been toting you around now for about three days. About time you start toting yourself. Here you go. God gave you two legs. Start using them. Start walking. I'm tired of carrying you. You didn't do that. That's foolish for us to even say that. No, what do you do with that newborn baby? You carry them around. You carry them around. You take care of them. You support them, right? And even when they start walking and they're doing the whole Frankenstein thing, what are you doing? Are you sitting there saying, come on, come on, we got to go? No, you're taking tiny little steps because they're slow. You don't adjust or you don't expect them to adjust their behavior based upon you, you adjust your behavior based upon them. That's what he's talking about right here in this passage of Scripture. He is saying, okay, listen, I want you to do this, mature Christians. I want you to do this with the younger, more immature. Carry them. Walk slowly with them. Help them. You say, okay, I'm supposed to carry them. And by the way, have you found this out? That even when the babies, the toddlers start walking, we still carry them. And then they start running, and then they, you know, then they get in middle school, and then they get in high school, and then they go to college, and then they graduate, and then they come home, and we carry them the entire time. That's what he is saying here. That we are to carry those weaker, younger Christians. We're carrying them where? To a position of maturity and strength. I'm so thankful that the day that I got saved. I wouldn't plop down on the floor saying, okay, all right, now that you're in heaven, go ahead, have a seat, get to it. Oh, wait, I was. I want to remind you, church, that the goal that God is doing through your salvation is not merely to get you to heaven when you die. I know that that's where we think it exhausts. I know that we have elevated that to be the most important thing. You've heard me say this, and I've had folks get on to me saying, don't say it again, but I'll say it again this morning. If God's ultimate goal when it comes to your life and your salvation is to get you to heaven, then the greatest thing that we could do for you when you publicly profess Christ, you come up out of the baptistry water is we shoot you (laughs) you fulfilled god's will for your life here you go fly off to heaven no he's changing you because he gets great glory He's molding you and he is making you and everything about you is different because of Christ. Yes, heaven will be your home, right? You have security and you have peace of knowing that when you do finally leave this earth, it will mean glorious heaven for you. But you understand that he is doing something right here and right now, making you more and more into the image of Jesus. And I'm so thankful that the day that I got saved, the Holy Spirit didn't knock me to my, to my knees and say, all right, now that you got Jesus, go figure it out. What happens in the church so many times is older, more mature Christians, and please hear me, it has nothing to do with age. Older, more mature Christians They confuse acceptance and support with tolerance. I'll give you an example. 
the church I pastored before I came here, our students went off on retreat, and man, they had a glorious time, and God did a mighty, mighty work among them, and they came back to the church after a retreat, and that Sunday morning, they came and filled into the worship center, and usually they would sit up in the balcony, or usually they would have little pockets that were spread all around, but they decided, you know what, we're going to unite together, right? We're, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to worship together, and so like the first four pews, in our worship center in that church that I pastored, that Sunday was just filled with teenagers. And you and I look at that and we're like, man, thank you, Jesus. And this little old lady came up to me after the service. And she said, preacher, now I don't mean to be complaining, which is always a telltale sign they're going to complain. It's kind of like those, now I don't mean to be gossiping. Get ready. They're going to gossip. Let me just stop and say this. If they'll gossip to you about somebody else, they'll gossip to someone else about you. Just go ahead and store that in the back. Preacher, I don't mean to be complaining. But they took my seat. She had even brought a cushion from home to mark her territory. They had moved her cushion. But you know what, preacher? I'm just going to do what the good book says. I'm going to grin and bear it. (laughs) And I had to tell her, ma'am, the Bible never says to grin and bear it. It's amazing the things that we want to blame on Scripture that have nothing to do with Scripture. And so her attitude was this. Well, I don't like it. I don't like it, but I'm just going to tolerate it. Tolerance is not what he is talking about in this Scripture. Instead, we're talking about supporting younger, weaker Christians. We're talking about caring for younger, weaker Christians. We're talking about helping and carrying younger, weaker Christians. And one of the problems that we have in churches today is that sometimes Christians just are not nice. Oh, not here, not here. That we treat each other with antagonism. You want to know why the world out there is not flying into this place, uh, to the Lord church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why the world out there is not running to Jesus? Because they look to the group that ought to be unified under the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ, and instead they see such disunity and division, and they see the church fighting over things that ultimately don't matter. We built that basketball pavilion, and they use it for so much more out behind the student building. Somebody came and said, well, I mean, I want you to know that, that I'm going to lose my parking place when that, when that thing's up. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. That parking place, I mean, we, we'd probably get, if we really shove them in there, I'm thinking that parking place, that's 20 teenagers. Crickets is what I got when I said that. <laughs> Really is perfect. Thank you. That was right on time, too. I was afraid when I told you, do it at this moment. You wouldn't get it just right. There was a Sunday school class. Hey, are we going to build a, uh, um, what, 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 what do they call it? With a shuffleboard. Are we going to build a shuffleboard court for the senior adults? Now that we have that outdoor pavilion for the children no we're not we're not we're not we can't build that because we need your money to pay for that outdoor pavilion for the children and the students (laughs) well they're awful selfish aren't they and they don't give a dime but we'll set aside our desires and our wants and our wishes and our likes and dislikes for younger weaker christians that, that's, that's the unity of the church. Do you see what I'm saying? This is amazing, guys. I could take you to a place in Alabama where on one side of a rural road, there is a church, and the name of the church is New Harmony Baptist Church. 
And all of a sudden, they started fussing and fighting over it. I don't even know what it was, but it was something that was non-essential. may have been about a shuffleboard uh, court and an outdoor basketball court. may have been over parking. may have been over seats. may have been over what kind of music they sing. Who knows? But they got to fussing and fighting over stuff that do not matter. And all of a sudden, there's a group of them that left, and they went right across that rural highway, and they started a new church, and this is the name of the new church. New Harmony Baptist Church number two. So what do we know? Well, there wasn't a lot of harmony in New Harmony. And the world sees that, and they're like, I don't want to be a part of that. I, 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 I just want to know, I mean, can Jesus really change me? Can Jesus really save me? You want me to come and be a part of, of people that are acting like fools? That are fussing and fighting over things that ultimately will not matter? There's a church outside of Mayfield, Kentucky named No Peg Baptist Church. Let me tell you the history. Many, many years ago, they would have riding circuit preachers that would go from church to church, and a preacher would come riding in on his horse, and he wore this big outward uh, coat to kind of keep the dust off of his clothes, kind of a long trench coat, and uh, he would come in, and he would take that off, and a lot of times he'd be, it'd be right at time, he'd have to run into the pulpit, and so there was a guy in the church that's like, you know what, man, we need to make something to help the preacher out, and so he took a peg, they didn't vote on it, he took a peg, and he put it on the back of the wall, in the worship center of that little church where when the preacher walked in, he could take off his outer coat and he could hang it on the peg. And there were folks that said, you've desecrated the house of God because you put a peg on the wall. And they got mad and they took their ball and they went home. And they started a new church. And to this day, the church is named No Peg Baptist Church. And you and I, listen, we hear that and we're like, oh my goodness, that's so embarrassing. That is so foolish. I can't believe somebody would act that way. But when the world looks at us, they laugh at us. And the Bible says, listen, the Bible says that you and I, this is not just you, you and I are to support weaker Christians, even if they don't agree with us on some of these non-essential issues. Promote the unity of your church. Support weaker Christians. But then there's a second way that we promote it. I promote the unity of my church when I seek to please others, not myself. Look at verse 2 again. He says, let each of us please his neighbor. Now, I would say this. The greatest uh, enemy to church unity is selfishness. And here's how it goes. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. If I don't like that, then I'm going to complain. And if you don't change that and I'm not happy, then I'm just going to leave and I'm not going to come back. But unity, the unity that Paul talks about here, the unity that pleases God, the unity that he desires for his church is not when you try to please yourself or meet your own wants. Instead, it's when you please others. Some psychiatrists, some psychologists would say this. They would say, well, you know, it's kind of a dysfunction when you go around trying to please everyone. That's not very healthy. Understand, we're not talking about in every situation, but we are talking about setting aside things that we like or we don't like in order to support younger, weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the super spiritual would say this. Well, I thought the Bible says we're to be God pleasers, not man pleasers. Absolutely, it says that. But it means this, that I'm going to set aside myself, right? I'm going to set aside my own pleasure, my own desires, and instead I'm going to uh, look at the desires and the needs of others. I'm going to do this for the sake of unity. That when you and I get so self-centered that we only want things to go our way then we are not promoting unity within our church. We are becoming an enemy of unity within our church. When our kids were growing up, we would read to them all the time. And uh, when our girls especially were little, uh, we would, uh, there was a particular book that I had when I was a kid, and it had nursery rhymes in it. And I would, I would read you know, some neat ones that I remember as a child. There was one that went like this, Fishy, Fishy in the Brook. Daddy caught him with the hook. Mama fried him in the pan. 
baby ate him like a man. I love that. It was easy to remember. I'm all about the rhyming. Alliteration is key. There's another one that we would read to them that goes like this. I had a little party this afternoon at three. Twas very small, three guests in all, I, myself, and me. Myself ate up all the candy, and I drank up all the tea. It was also I who ate the cake and passed the pie to only me. And that describes the perspective of so many people. That they are so self-centered that their whole existence is I and me and my. Well, this is my seat. This is my parking place. As I had somebody tell me one time, I'm going to park in the visitor's parking place because I've got just as much right to do it as they do. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. I sure hope so-and-so's here to hear this sermon this morning. And if that's your attitude, understand, it is for you. It's directed toward you. I saw a t-shirt the other day. There was this big overweight guy that was wearing a t-shirt. And the t-shirt said this, three words. It said, filthy, stinking, rich. And below it, in smaller font, it said, two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Help your neighbor with that one if you would. (laughs) Well, the reality is, the reality is there's a lot of us that could wear a t-shirt that says, filthy, stinking, selfish. Mm. Because when you don't care about anybody else, you're disrupting the unity of the church. God creates it, but you and I maintain it. So I'm going to support weaker Christians, right? I'm going to seek to please others instead of myself. There's a third way that I promote unity within the church. It's when I see the unselfish example of Jesus. Look there in verse 3. I see the unselfish example of Jesus in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. Christ himself said, what? I have not come to be served, I've come to serve. When they insulted Jesus, he didn't defend himself. You remember how they insulted him? Do you remember what they said after he was doing signs and wonders? He was doing the miraculous. They said, well, we see you doing the miraculous, but the power that you do it by is through Beelzebub. It's through the devil. And yet Jesus did not try to defend himself. Instead, you know what Jesus did? He continued to do what God sent him here to do in the first place. Look in verse 3. It says in verse 3, the reproaches of those who reproached you, that would be God, you, fell on, and this is Jesus, me. Jesus was insulted and insulted. They even insulted him when he was on the cross. They said, you were able to save others, but yet you're not able to save yourself. Friend, hear me. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't save himself. It's that Jesus wouldn't save himself. Don't you believe he could have called down 12 legions of angels and they could have absolutely taken him off of that cross? But Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew why he had left heaven. Jesus knew why he put on flesh. It was so that he might do for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. His goal was not to save himself. His goal was to save you and I. And he was doing what was best for me and for you. And for all sinners. How do I promote it? I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. I've got to understand this church does not exist so that you and my, uh, my desires might be met. So that our likes might be taken care of. If anything, this church exists because there is a gospel of Jesus Christ that saves and it transforms. And it is ultimately what the world needs. And God has so chosen to get the gospel out through the church, which is you and I. So 
friend, if we're going to get upset about something, let's not get upset over whether the coffee was bitter in the coffee bar. Last time I checked, you ain't buying it for a dollar anywhere else anyway. Let us not get upset if it takes a while to get my kids out of the nursery because there's so many kids back there or they won't let you in because you lost your tag. That's what we want. The first time I showed up when my son was a little kid after we opened it up, there was a precious little lady working who has since gone to heaven and I said, hey, I'm here to get read. She said, where's your tag? You don't need a tag. I'm the preacher. She said, no, I'm the lady that takes the tags. I said, don't you know who I am? She said, undoubtedly, you don't know who I am. I'm the lady that takes the tags. (laughs) And I walked back and I'm like, she don't know who I am. And I found the tag and went back and got my kid. But, but do, do, do you see how foolishly we get divided? Well, my goodness, if we're going to get worked up about something, how about we get worked up over the fact that most of the people in Bay County, if they were to die right now, they'd head to hell. How about we get worked up over that? How about we get worked up over the fact that there are people that are standing in churches like we are today, that are standing behind pulpits like I am today, and they are preaching and teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. How about we get worked up over that? Instead of us getting worked up over who's going to be the next president of the United States, instead of us getting worked up over how much gas costs, instead of us getting worked up over whether Trump had the documents or he didn't have the documents, how about we get worked up over the fact that i got a neighbor If he died today, he has no hope. He has no future. And I'm sitting around worried about whether we get an onside kick or not. Mm. I didn't yell at the first service. I'm just being honest with you. way I figure it, I don't have to hold anything in reserve for you guys. Let's move on to number four. I promote the unity of my church when the source of authority in my life is the Bible. Now, guys, it kind of gets lost right here. One of the greatest verses on the nature and the character of the Bible is found right here. In this scripture, listen to what he says. Look at verse 4 again. He says, for whatever things were written before. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament there. The Old Testament scriptures. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The scriptures bring comfort. The scriptures bring peace. The scriptures give hope. That's the word of God. So, so, so listen, when I do sit there and say, well, you know what? There are some things that are going to affect my unity. There are some things that are going to affect my fellowship, right? It is, how do you view the word of God? Is the Bible the Word of God? That you and I may not agree on everything. I'll give you an example. We've talked about this before. That, you know, I I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And, you know, there are certain things that I believe about how it's going to happen. And I believe that I'm right. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, you may disagree with me on some of the intricacies about Jesus coming back again. But if you believe he's coming back again, I can fellowship with you. I can support you. I can love you. I can have unity with you. But now if you sit there and say, well, now, now, now the, the Bible is, it's no different than any other book. The Bible's just a bunch of fairy tales. That the, uh, the Bible's no different than a, a novel. Well, we got a problem. That's one of those essentials that, that we can't compromise over. Do you accept God's word as the source of authority? There's unity there. Now, it's not unique that I got this question. I've gotten into a lot, and I recently got, well, it really wasn't a question. It was more of a statement. Here's what was said. The way I figure it, that when it comes to Muslims, when it comes to Christians, when it comes to uh, people who are good, they may not have any belief system whatsoever. When it comes to Hindus, the way I figure it is when everyone dies, God's just going to let everyone go to heaven. That's what they said. And I said, could could I ask you on what basis do you make that statement? 
And they said, well, the way I figure it, it'd be the fairest thing for God to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And that's the reason why when it comes to terms of eternity, I'm not, I'm not dare going to trust what's happening with these corpuscles between these two ears. My basis for authority is not what I think. It's not what I feel. Again, I'm not the sharpest guy. That's the reason why I sit there and say, you know what? My basis for authority on key things in life, how about I just base it on this right here? How about I just base it on God's holy supernatural word within itself? And so that's the basis of our unity. Let me give you the fifth thing that I need to do to promote the unity of my church. I need to sincerely pray for church unity. That's what he says. Without you speaking out loud, can I ask you, brother in Christ, can I ask you, sister in Christ, whether you are maturing in your faith or you are a young, weaker Christian, can I ask you, when is the last time that you prayed for unity in your church? You know, you, usually when we pray for unity in the church, when we have disunity in the church. No, 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 you and I, he doesn't say, wait until there's division, then pray for unity. No, look at what he says in verse 5. He says, now, he's praying this, guys. He's writing this prayer. This is what he is praying. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. We showed up in the first service today. They baptized three in the first service, and we applauded after everyone. When the question was asked, who is the Lord of your life? Jesus Christ. And we applauded. We encouraged them through our applause. We give God great glory because the statement is absolutely true. He is Lord. He is Lord. In the second service, you were here three others, three siblings, Three siblings, some of you may think, will it help them be brother, brothers and sisters now that they've professed Christ as Lord and Savior? Here's what I would say, it ain't gonna hurt. It can only get better. But we applauded after every one of them. Ryan even tried to get a little sassy with the last one who had gotten sassy with him. And, and we still, hey Ryan, be quiet, let's applaud. Jesus, yes. Just a few moments ago, you heard me say this. Six in the Gulf of Mexico, right outside of Windmark Beach. Here's what I know about them. They carry the same DNA as we do. I can promise you there was some great rejoicing that was going on. And we rejoice and we get excited. And I dare say this, I dare say every one of you in this room, you get excited on Wednesday nights when you walk down this mall way and you look over in the fellowship hall and you're like, oh my goodness, look at all those college kids in there. Isn't that crazy? I'm so thankful that the pastor finally let me be okay with them wearing caps. Look at them. Oh my goodness. Isn't it great? Then they're singing about Jesus and, 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 and you, you drive out on Wednesday nights. And if some of you are like me and you know, I'm like, well, we got to do something out there. I've almost hit four of them. Put them in a cage. That's what we can do. Put our students in a cage so the pastor doesn't hit them. And I've watched how some of you drive. I mean, we, we said we're going to do ministry by putting them in a cage, but the reality is we're saving you a great lawsuit. We put them in that cage out there. You're driving by. You're like, oh my goodness, look at all the students out there. And you're rejoicing. But now there's one that's not rejoicing. He's the adversary the devil name is lucifer and we're here and we're rejoicing and we're singing great praise to jesus and we're we're, we're seeing lives that are being changed and we're seeing families that are that are being put back together and we're just seeing some incredible things that are happening and we're like oh my goodness praise be unto you king jesus but there's one that says we got to stop that and he wants to divide us and he'll do whatever he can to bring division. He wants to divide every husband and wife in this room. Did you know that? He wants to divide every parent and child relationship. He wants to bring division to every brother and sister in Christ. And that's the reason why Paul says, don't wait until you find division to pray for unity. Pray for unity now. 
Keep on praying for unity. May it be in your prayer. Maybe you use the acrostic, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Go ahead and put you at the end. It's acts you, unity. Look at what he says. Here's the key, verse 5. got to finish up, verse 5. According to Christ Jesus. We've already said this. It's not about you and I liking the same things when it comes to non-essentials. It's not about, you know, well, I like singing this song. Well, I like singing this song. Well, I like this particular style of music. Well, I like that particular style of music. And I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, if you ever find yourself in a service and you're like, I don't like the song that we sang. Corey doesn't pick those songs out. Wayne doesn't pick those songs out. If you're upset about them, come to me. I'm the one that picks them all out. I mean, I really don't, but I'm the one that it rests with. They come to me and they're like, what, what, do, you, what, do, what do you want us to sing this Sunday? What are you, what, what you going to preach on? Well, I mean, maybe we sing about Jesus. That'd be good. Yeah, you find, find me a song about Jesus. That'd be good. Well, what about the beat? We, well, we don't care about the beat. Let's just sing about Jesus. Well, that's a fast song. Yeah, well, yeah it's about Jesus. It'll be fast. Well, that's a slow one. Some of you are like, we never sing slow songs. Well, tomato, tomato. It all depends on who you talk to. I don't care if it's fast. I don't care if it's slow. I don't care if it's, you know, if we're playing a horn. I don't care if we're playing a guitar. I mean, my goodness, I was on my knees in prayer right here at the altar at the first service. They were singing a song, and the bass was almost, it almost blew me five rows back. <laughs> but here's what I know. We were singing about Jesus. Notice what he says there, according to Christ Jesus. So our unity as a church, it's not about you being close to me. It's not about me being close to you. It's about you being close to Jesus and me being close to Jesus. That's it. We're different. We have different likes and dislikes and all those kinds of things. But it's about us coming commonly together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And hear me, you cannot, be you cannot claim to be close to Jesus and be divided from your brother or sister in Christ. If you're divided from them, then one of you is not close to Jesus. That's why we pray for unity. Here's the last one. We sing praises to God together. Verse 6. Verse 6. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, with one mind and one mouth, glorify Jesus Christ. Almost every day I sing praises to Jesus. Whether it's driving down the road and a song comes on the radio, or whether it's time that I'm spending alone with him in, in my quiet time, whatever the case may be. Yesterday I told you I was driving back uh, from, from seeing Emma at college. It's about an eight-hour drive. My parents live about an hour south of her. So I got up early in the morning and I drove to my parents' house and I stopped and hung out there for a little while. And then I had a seven-hour drive. And I got around Tupelo and all of a sudden on the radio, the song Rattle came on. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Boom, boom, boom. This is the sound make a dead man walk again. Boom, boom, boom. Open the grave. I'm, I'm sitting there and I am singing at the top of my lungs. My goodness, only God could give life to dead bones. <laughs> By the way, that describes me before Jesus. I was dry, dead, dusty bones, but he breathed life into me. And so I'm singing and I'm praising and, you know, when I'm, I'm Jennifer, Jennifer's car, if you, if you venture too far out of the lane, all of a sudden it, it rattles the steering wheel, beep, 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 all this kind of stuff. It's got all these safety devices on it and I can't stand, I turn every one of them off, man. It's, it, it, and so it's shaking and everything. All of a sudden I turn the radio just one station, it's serious, right? One station and the Isaacs were singing, Calvin. The Isaac, Southern Gospel. Man, I started getting into that, and I started singing at the top of my lungs. And then all of a sudden, that went off, and I turned it back over one more station, and there's old Toby Mac letting it loose. And I get into Toby Mac. Some of you are like, I don't know who Toby Mac is. You need to be listening to him. 
Now, take your hearing aids out before you do. But I'm in, all of a sudden, I look over, there's a car next to me, and they're laughing. They're laughing. They're looking at me, and I don't know how long they'd been beside me, but I was all over the place. I was all over the radio. I was all over the road. I was all over the place. And I don't know, they might have thought I was cussing somebody out on the phone because I was so into it. And so, almost every day I sing praises to him. But you know what he's just said here? Mm. There's something different when we gather together in this place on Sundays. And we gather together in this place on Wednesdays. That's the reason why if you guys flippantly treat church attendance, understand it not only hurts you and your family, it hurts us as a body. That, that when we gather together in this place and with one mind, now what's my mind? I'll give you one guess. Jesus. <laughs> and with one voice. What's my voice? It's okay. Jesus. So my mind and my voice, Jesus, is it Jesus, and it's He's just said right here, oh my goodness, do you know how that promotes unity in the church? So we're all different, right? We look different, we smell different, we talk different, we like different things, we root for different college football teams. We're all different. And we come to this place, and we're united. One mind, one mouth. One heart, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, every now and then, some of you guys will bring some old lost friend or neighbor, and they walk into this place, and all of a sudden, they see something they've never seen before. And there is a power in this place that they've never experienced before. And they're like, oh my goodness, look at all these people with one mind and one voice pointed in one direction. And that's the reason why pretty regularly... They'll sit there and they'll say, well, hey, <laughs> I don't know what it is you got, but I want it. The world out there will want what we have in here by the way we love each other and unify together under Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. I promise I'm done. Several years ago, this is a true but tragic story and happened in Canada. There was a little two-year-old girl got out of her house. The parents didn't know that she'd gotten out. It was winter. It was very cold. By the time the parents noticed that she was gone, they couldn't find her. And so they got their neighbors and everything, and they started looking around. They followed the tracks. There were tracks that were there, but there were also a lot of other tracks that were in the snow. And so everybody was going out, kind of following their own sets of tracks. And they looked and they looked and they looked and they still couldn't find this little girl. The sun was setting. And eventually there was one neighbor who said this, Hey, listen, why don't we all grab hands? Let's come together, hold hands. Let's form one long line and let's walk across the field so we don't miss one square inch. And that's what they did, and it wasn't very long. And unfortunately, they found her curled up body frozen to death. Hear me. And then somebody spoke, and here's what they said. Oh, if we would have only come together sooner. Those are the words of Paul. Oh, if we would only come together sooner sooner instead of you and i being in this place and debating over salvation well did 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 uh did uh, god choose me or did i choose god instead of us sitting here saying do i sing a new song do i sing an old song instead of us sitting in here debating well how many angels will fit on the head of a needle right did adam and eve have belly button fuzz whatever the case may be debating over and over and over on these non-essentials he says why don't you link your hands together Because there's somebody lost. And it's getting dark. And it's cold out there. Why don't we link together over that which we do know? Jesus saves. 
and let's go save the world. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.